listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. Hello and welcome to Three Jewels Vancouver Drishti Point podcast and broadcast. Today we have with us Lama Sumati Marut, and he's going to talk to us about his new book, A Spiritual Renegade's Guide to uh, the Good Life. Um, this is the second in a series of conversations uh, with Lama Marut about his teachings, his writing, and his life as a spiritual teacher. Uh, Lama Marut, if you haven't uh, uh, met him in the past, is an ordained Buddhist monk, a university professor, surfer, motorcycle enthusiast, and a teacher loved all over the world for his humor, his openness, his conviction, his strength, and his incredible knowledge of Eastern um, spirituality and how to actually do this, how to practice this in, the, in, in modern life. Welcome, Lama Marut. Thanks, Shadi. It's nice to be with you again here on Drishti Point. Um, today we're talking about your new book, and very excited. It's um, what's the publishing date? In June, I believe. Uh, yeah, the official release date I think is June fifth. But um, copies are now out. Uh, they've hot off the presses uh, for the last couple of nights. We've been doing some uh, some uh, readings at bookstores here in Los Angeles area, and uh, we actually do have actual books now. So, and and this is May twenty fourth. Uh, so yeah, it's out. It's it's happened. <laughs> That's great. That's great. It's very exciting. We we were lucky enough to receive an advanced copy here, and of course just gobbled it right down. Enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for for this incredible uh, offering to the world. Um, well, yeah, thanks. I mean, it's been a I I I I kind of increasingly realized as I have to talk about the book that it really is the culmination of um, you know of sort of fifty nine years of living and. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, what I've, what I've learned from my teachers, my spiritual teachers and from my own experience. And, um, I'm glad to be able to share it with others. Thank you. It's a, such an, un, you have such an unusual combination of experiences and knowledge, both with the academic, of course, your very, uh, deep, uh, and thorough studies in, in, in spirituality with your lamas. Um, as well as uh, the various interests and enthusiasms you have, um, is it that um, is it that combination that that gives you the ability to uh, to sort of be able to present this information in a in a new way? Well, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, that's for other people to decide. Uh, I I just feel very strongly and have you know for a while that. Um, you know, having having come from an academic background, uh, uh, you know, uh, of, stu- of the study of religion, that that uh, you know, that's a very theoretical and kind of you know, head game kind of a trip uh, uh, approach to religion. And when it comes to um, the practice of a spiritual tradition, I feel very strongly that it should be relevant. Mm-hmm. That if it's not uh, integratable into our daily lives. It's just an artifact. It's just kind of like a museum piece. So, um, from, from my own, you know, in my own practice, in my own life, um, I felt very, very, it's been very, very important to me over the past 14 years of, of my own spiritual practice to, you know, to try to see how what I've been learning, you know, from my teachers and, you know, my reading and my research and all of that, 
how I can integrate it into my, my daily life. And, and if I can't, or if I can't see a way to do that, then I'm not really sure what the purpose of it is. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, I've done, you know, I did 25, 30 years in the academic world and, you know, there is a certain purpose, intellectual purpose to just, you know, kind of know stuff. But, um, I've come to the point where, uh, you know, I just, life's kind of too short to just kind of play games. And, uh, so if, if it's, if it's not uh, something that I can use, if it's not something that I can put into practice in my own life, on a, in in order to make my life better, then um, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm not that interested in it right now. Uh, so that's what I try to do in my own in my own relationship to to the to the spiritual tradition that I'm a part of, um, and then I try to convey that to others, you know, in my teaching and in this book, how how to how to make a you know 2,500 year old tradition you know, part of your daily life and, 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 and use it to live a happier life. So would you say then that the book is more, has more emphasis on the, on the sense of being a guide than, than it does on Buddhist philosophy itself? I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, could somebody use the book as well as a guide, as, well, as, a, as a primer on Buddhist philosophy? Well, in a way, it's, it wasn't really written as a primer on Buddhist philosophy, but it was written, it, it was written as a kind of a overview of, uh, you know, pretty much everything that we need to do to live a happier life. You know, we, we're unhappy because of three different things, I think, and the book's kind of structured like this. We're unhappy, well, I guess you could say four, you know, there's four parts to the book. You know, we, we're, we're unhappy in part because we're spacing out, uh, you know, about, about the meaning and purpose of life. And instead of like getting serious about, about living the good life, we're just kind of entertaining ourselves to death or working our asses off at dead end jobs or whatever. So the first, you know, the first part is to kind of like wake up a little bit and to, to realize that we have a, you know, an amazing opportunity in this life to do something really, really, uh, important, really uh, crucially important. And in fact, that no one you know, in world history has ever had the kind of opportunity that we do to really realize the, you know, the goals that these spiritual traditions hold out for us, which is, you know, in a word, true, true happiness, deep, deep seated true happiness. So we have to like kind of wake up and see that we have this opportunity and then, then think, well, how am I going to live a happy life? And, and the rest of the book is structured into, you know, three sections. One is, well, I need to do something about my past. Uh, you know, we, we're unhappy in part because we're carrying around a lot of bitterness and anger and resentment and sadness about our past. So, uh, so that's, that's one thing that we can, that we can, st- that's one place that we can start working on it. And not, you know, I make a pretty strong case, I think, in the book that, uh, the past is totally changeable, that we can change the past, that we're changing the past all the time, actually, because the past doesn't exist in any other way than as part of our present mind. The past is gone in a way, you could say. It doesn't exist. But to the extent that it does exist, it exists as, as what we call memories, you know, in our present mind. And every time we revisit those memories, we're, we're changing them a bit. You know, the past is, you know, there's no, there's no history except for revisionist history. Mm-hmm. Every time we think about the past, we're thinking about it differently. So, so to take, to take control of that process and to say, well, how, how can I revisit my past in a more healthy minded, useful, productive, happiness making way and uh so i have a couple of chapters on that centering around the concepts of forgiveness and gratitude and uh and then you've changed your past in a in a way that makes for a happier life in the present then uh, there's the future of course and uh the future you know kind of exists in exactly the way the past exists it it hasn't come yet so in a certain way you could say it doesn't exist at all 
But it, but of course it does exist as part of our present mind. We have expectations. We have anticipations and expectations of the future. And, uh, and unfortunately, most of us almost all the time are, are poisoning our present by worrying about the future. Uh, you know, at least if, if you're like me, uh, w- when you're casting your mind ahead, you know, you're, you know, you're thinking about all the things that could go wrong, uh, you know, kind of anticipating all kinds of problems and difficulties and so forth. And then, and then again, are kind of poisoning and ruining present happiness by these kinds of, um, these kinds of worries about the future. So can we change the future? Well, of course we can change the future. We're, we're in the process of changing the future er- in every moment. Every moment that we live is creating the causes for a future result. So again, to take control of that process such that, you know, you don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to have like these kind of nightmare scenarios about the future, but can trust it and can relax then a little bit about, about the future and, and, and live happily and more happily in the present. And the way to do that is to, you know, be very, very mindful of your, of your present actions and uh, to, to pay attention to, you know, what, what they call in the Eastern traditions, the laws of karma. And, uh, you know, it's not just the Eastern traditions that teach karma. All, all authentic spiritual traditions teach some form of the idea that what goes around comes around, that you shall reap what you sow, as Jesus said. So that's how you change your future. You, you know, you, you start sowing, uh, more consciously the seeds in the present that, that will bring a happier result in the future. And, uh, and then you're, and then you can relax about the future. And then the, the only thing left is the present and, uh, you know, the, the, at one level you can say, you, you know, the present is a perfect uh, set of effects of past causes. So interestingly enough, although we can change the past and we can change the future, we actually can't change the present in the present. And, and, it, and so this is like 180 degrees different than how we usually think of it, right? But we think that we can control the present in the present, but we can't, can't do anything about the past because the past has already happened and everything, and we can't really do anything about the future, you know, case sera, sera. But actually, it's completely, you know, uh, other than that. We can change the past, we can change the future, but we, what we can't change is, you know, the present in the present. So the, you know, the kind of metaphor that I've come up with for getting upset about things that you can't change, which is, you know, pretty much everything that happens to us, you know, in the present. We can't change the present and the present, and, and to get upset about it is just like honking your horn in gridlock. And I don't know, maybe in Vancouver you also have some traffic sometimes there. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so gridlock actually, you know, for those people who live in cities like Vancouver and Los Angeles, you know, people know. It, it means that the traffic doesn't move. You're sitting in a car and the traffic doesn't move. And then some people decide, oh, I know what I'll do. You know, I'll honk my horn as if that's going to help. And uh, I, I suggest in the book that anytime we get upset about something that we can't change, i.e. any kind of present event that we can't change, can't change the present in the present, it's just like honking your horn in gridlock. It doesn't change it. It doesn't help it. And it just makes you actually feel worse. And, and of course, also the people around you. People around you, you know, when you're honking your horn in gridlock in a, in a traffic jam, you know, they're not all looking at you, oh, thanks for honking, honking your horn. That makes us feel a lot better over here in our cars that don't move either. And, uh, you know, it's just not, it's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to the people around you. And it's, you know, useless. So, so similarly, getting upset about things that are happening in the present 
is useless. If there's something you can do about it, this is from a you know, very famous text from the Buddhist tradition, the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. If there's something you can do about it, why get upset? Just do it. And there is something we can do about the past and the future. We can, we can, we can change our, our, our understanding, our interpretation of the past by exercising the, you know, the universally, you know, recommended virtues of forgiveness and generosity, of gratitude, I mean, forgiveness and gratitude. And, uh, and actually we can change the future by, by being careful about our present actions and, and, and creating, you know, new seeds, planting new seeds for a better future, but we can't change the present in the present. So, change what you can change. If there's something you can do about it, you know, don't get upset, just do it. And if there's nothing you can do about it, what's the point of getting upset? Just relax already. And then, um, if you've relaxed already <laughs> about what you can't change, and, and, and by the way, you know, and thinking then always about the future, what can I do here in this situation that would be beneficial for me, you know, in terms of my future? In, 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 what, what kind of causes should I be planting here in terms of future effects? Uh, if you've, you know, kind of taken, taken the initiative, taken the power that we have to change our future, uh, then in a way you have changed the present because instead of feeling, you know, victimized and ineffectual and frustrated about the, the present, you, you know, you, you've taken a relaxed attitude about it because, you know, there isn't anything that you can do to change the present in the present and you've taken an optimistic view of what you can change and that is the future. So honking your horn in gridlock doesn't make any sense. Just relax and then think about, think about how to create causes for, for a better future. And then you're living happier in the present. You fix the past. You have, you, you know, you've done what you can to, to create a, a future that you can trust to be, to be fine. You know, have some trust in the system. If you're doing the right thing in the present, you can trust it to, you know, to go around, but it's gotta, you know, you get, it's gotta go around to come around. You know what I mean? You gotta like create the causes for, a, for, for a happy future. And then you relax about the present, about the things that you can't do anything about, and and realize that there's no point. There's just no point in being upset about things that that, that you can't change in the present. But thank you for that. What I really uh, enjoyed about the book was the practical exercises, the practical steps I could take um, in order to actually um, be able to do what you're what you're just described to us. Um, I know you've been on tour for just a short period of time, but what are you finding is resonating with the uh, with the students and the audiences that you've been speaking to uh, about the book? Well, I think um, you know, uh, uh, I think a lot of people are sort of surprised to you know they come to a talk by a Buddhist monk and they're they're surprised that it's actually applicable to their lives. <laughs> you know, it's sort of kind of like depressing to think about all the other kind of teachers that they've been. You know, from, from at least a certain point of view, are, are teaching, you know, things that people don't find that relevant. I mean, it's just kind of escapism in a way. So much of spirituality is, you know, modern spirituality is presented that way as, as kind of a, you know, fa fantasy escapism. Uh, you know, just go into your room and meditate and try to make the world go away or something. And, uh, not that there's anything wrong with meditation. I'm for meditation too, but, you know, my, my approach is, 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 you know, is kind of in your face a little bit. Like, well, how is this going to change your day to day interactions with other people? How is it going to change, 
you know, is it going to make a difference, you know, in your life as you go to work, as you're, you know, driving in the gridlock, you know, is it going to have any kind of cash out? Uh, and, and so I try to emphasize that, that, that the, the spiritual life isn't about like some airy fairy, you know, kind of dreamlike, you know, checking out of reality. But it is, you know, to, 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 to face reality head on and to say like, I'm going to take an intelligent, an intelligent sort of approach here. And, and, and one that, that follows my, my self-interest. You see, enlightened self-interest means is, you know, what, what is going to pay off in terms of my happiness? Is, is it going to pay off, for example, to get upset and angry and irritated when you encounter an irritating person? Is that, is that in my self-interest to get, to get upset? And uh, of course it's, you know, it's hard not to get upset when you, when you encounter an irritating person or when you get, you know, you have to get someplace in the traffic's not moving or any number of, you know, incidents that occur on a pretty much daily basis with us. It's hard not to get upset. But that's where the spiritual life comes in. The spiritual training comes in by, by teaching you to like, you know, to, to get in touch more with your real self interest, which is to be happy. Everyone wants, wants to be happy. And, and it doesn't make any sense to get, to get upset if you're interested in maintaining your own happiness. It just doesn't, you know, it just isn't, um, it isn't a smart strategy. So increasingly I think, uh, and maybe this is, maybe this is something of, you know, the appeal to some people, you know, of, of my approach in my book that, uh, you know, the, the religious life isn't about faith or, you know, or belief in the supernatural or the, you know, some kind of metaphysical whatever. But is, is a matter of using your head, using your, your brains, using your, your intellect to think about, you know, what, what, what's going to pay off for me? What is it that will work? And, uh, and, and so, you know, again, I, I would suggest that, uh, you know, the kind of, the kind of life that I'm outlining in the spiritual guide, in the spiritual renegades guide to the good life, is is uh, w- workable and ef- effective. It's an effective method for achieving what we all are looking for, which is this, this sort of deep-seated contentment, deep-seated happiness. But we we haven't been that good at achieving what we're looking for. We all want it, but then we're kind of looking for happiness in all the wrong places. We're trying to you know buy our way into happiness by endless you know consumerism, or we're trying to you know get happy by escapism into these kinds of, you know, some, some forms of, you know, new age spirituality or even, you know, old age spirituality for that matter presented as a kind of a, you know, escapism, escape, escape from reality. We're trying to be happy and, but, you know, trying exploring these different ways to, to achieve that and they don't work. Uh, you know, as soon as you get up from your, you know, hippy dippy meditation session, you know, there's, there's the same irritating neighbor, you know, who's making sounds with their leaf blower. And then you like, you get upset about it. And you know, it, it, what's the point of that exactly? You see, nothing much has changed. You just checked out for like 20 minutes or half an hour and then you're back in the world without, without it changing you. If it hasn't changed you, it's, what's the point exactly? It's just a, it's just, so meditation can be used as a kind of a narcotic, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, yeah. Just like heroin or, or alcohol or anything else can just like be a, an, an escapism. So, you know, between the sort of poles, you, you know, Buddhism argues for the middle way a lot, right? So between the extremes of, you know, c- consumer capitalism 
and thinking that the way to be happy is to just amass, you know, lots of stuff and, and, and experiences, you know, travel and, you know, uh, entertainment experiences. And then, you know, the, the endless consumer goods, that one extreme. And then the other extreme, this kind of like toothless, you know, self-absorbed spiritual, spiritual, so-called spirituality that is usually, you know, is, is kind of the main, the main form of, you know, modern new age versions of spirituality. It's just kind of this narcissistic, you know, self-help, self-absorption. And uh, that doesn't work either. And, and no authentic religious tradition actually is teaching that. So the middle way is, is, is the, uh, you know, time tested, uh, you know, kind of, kind of version of a spiritual tradition that says the way to be happy is to stop worrying about your own happiness all the time and think about what you can do for others. And, and we can't actually start doing that in any kind of effective way if we're always just sort of sitting around thinking about ourselves in one of those kind of two ways, either in the, you know, what about me? I need to buy something kind of way, or what about me? I need to, you know, uh, do my daily affirmations and tell me, tell myself over and over again about what an awesome person I am. Uh, <laughs> in between those two extremes is the real self-interest, you know, following your real self-interest is thinking, what can I do for someone else? And that's taught in, that's taught universally in the authentic spiritual traditions. That's karma. That's the essence of a, of an ethical system, of a karmic system. What goes around will come around, mm -hmm. but it's got to go around first. You see, you got to, you know, got to help somebody else if you really want to help yourself. So, um, you know, I, I, I speak a lot in the book about happiness and about the importance of happiness. And, and, and then some people think, well, isn't that a little bit self-obsessed? And, uh, you know, it can be, obviously. But, but here, you know, here's my understanding of it. You, you actually can't be of use to other people, real use to other people, until you fixed yourself. So, you know, you, you, can't, you can't save drowning people unless you know how to swim. So it's very, very important to learn, you know, the secrets, the real secrets on true happiness, on, on deep-seated happiness, uh, you know, which is not just sensual pleasure, of course. Mm -hmm. Deep-seated happiness means contentment with whatever happens. You know, whether you get the iPod or not doesn't matter. Uh, you're happy, you're content. And then if you get the iPod, well, well, fine. But if you don't get it, you're not, like, crushed, you see. So so we all want this kind of thing, and uh, and we and we need to learn how to get it. It's a very, very important to 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 realize that this is our mission in life to be really happy it's, our, it's what we were put here to do and we we will not be of true use to other people and so we do we achieve that yeah happiness loves company but so does misery misery loves company they say right mm -hmm. and, and, and so as unhappy people we're just kind of like part of the problem instead of part of the solution so it's very very important to get happy and, and happiness loves company too so when, when we've learned, you know, how to, how to achieve the, 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 the point of life, the goal of life, then we'll be in a position to help others. Now, that said, <laughs> then here, here's the kind of like secret, the secret, the real secret, okay, not, not that fake secret thing. Uh, <laughs> well, perhaps <laughs> fake secret. Just the real secret. The real secret is if you're interested, if, if you've realized that it's extremely important, it's so the whole point of your life, to learn how to be happy as quickly as possible so that you can help others be happy. Then, then, then interestingly enough, you also have, you know, kind of, if you, if, if you explore the teachings on the authentic time-tested teachings on how to do that, 
they will tell you that the way to achieve your goal, the way to, to be happy yourself is to stop worrying about your happiness and worry about the happiness of others. So it's kind of interesting. You know, you can put it like this. The, you will be happy yourself, which is the point. You will achieve your goal in life to be happy when you stop thinking about your own happiness all the time and think about the happiness of others. And when you achieve that goal, you'll be able to serve others even better. See, mm -hmm. on, on the way to achieving the goal of, of true happiness and the ability to truly help others be happy too, you're helping others, you're trying to help others be happy because that's the means. The, so the, the means and the ends are the same. <laughs> the end is to, you know, to be and to be able to help others be happy. And the, the means to that is to try to help others be happy. And that, that is the way to be happy. And that makes you feel better automatically. In a way, it's almost like instant karma. When we, you know, in the few times that we're able <laughs> to truly be, uh, other, other directed, you know, we, we lose ourselves in the service of others. When we lose ourselves in the service of others, it is in those moments that we actually are happy because we're not there. <laughs> the, the selfish little ego with that, you know, like nagging little voice that's narrating life, mostly complaining the whole time, you know, finally shuts up because we're, we're absorbed in, in how to, in, in other people and how to help them and what, you know, that's what real love is. Isn't it? That's what love is, is you lose yourself. True love is that you lose yourself in the, in the other. And, and, and it is in those moments that we get a glimpse of what it would like, be like to be truly happy. So it's very interesting that the, the means and the ends are completely the same, actually. Gandhi, Gandhi and others have pointed that out for, for, you know, for years. That, that you, know, you can't get nonviolence through violence. You, see, you can't get peace through war. And you can't get happiness you know, through, through any other means than happiness, really. And, and, and happiness that we're talking about here is the happiness that comes from the, the selflessness of service, of service and love, uh, service to and love of others. And that, that gives us a little taste of what, of what it could be like on a, on a permanent basis when, when we achieve the real goal, which, which all, all religions hold out, all religions hold out the possibility of, of true and deep-seated judgment and happiness. And, and I would say, you know, in my understanding of my own tradition and the other traditions that I have some familiarity with, that also at, at, at some level or another, they're also teaching that that's possible here and now. That it, you don't have to wait to go to Alpha Centauri and, you know, some kind of heaven somewhere else or, you know, die and be born again five billion times. It could happen here and now. Contentment and true happiness is possible in this very life. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, again, I think another temptation is to, is to say, well, you know, all that sounds good, but, you know, I, I got too many problems now and I'll never, I'll never be able to do it. And, uh, it, it's not my understanding that religion is telling you, you know, most, most religions, at, at least at some level, are telling are telling us that uh, happiness need not be deferred, that the kingdom of heaven is within you, as Jesus said. I'm, I'm so glad to hear this very clear definition of what happiness is and how we can, in a very pragmatic way, um, achieve it. 
Um, I guess what I'm wondering, because of the way uh, many spiritual traditions have presented it, is it really possible, is this a life's work? Is it possible that we can actually achieve this level of deep contentment in, in a lifetime? Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm totally convinced of it, uh, partly because of the nature of the goal. The nature of the goal is this, this thing that we're calling happiness or contentment. I, I increasingly uh, prefer contentment, you know, because happiness is a little bit hackneyed nowadays. Everyone's talking about happiness. There's a million books about happiness, uh, you know, and then there's the, the sort of like spiritual fantasies of, you know, bliss and ecstasy and all of that. And, you know, which sounds good and everything, but, it, you know, it kind of sounds um, also like pretty far away. Uh, but contentment, I think, is totally within our, our, our grasp. We are very, you know, people like us, people listening to this broadcast, you know, people living in, in first world, you know, Vancouver and elsewhere. Uh, you know, what's our excuse, actually, for not being content? We have plenty to eat. We, I mean, it's not just, it's not even at the survival level, okay? It's way, way beyond the survival level. But we have plenty to eat, we have plenty of clothes to wear, we have heat when it's cold, we have air conditioning when it's hot. You know, we've got all the creature comforts covered, plus, 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 right? You know, mega versions of prosperity. And, you know, and, and education, and, the, you know, the political freedom, Freedom from, you know, being bombed, you know, not living in a war zone, most of us, uh, you know, so what's our excuse actually for, for not, for not achieving the goal of contentment? And, and really it's not, it's not really something to achieve actually. It's just something to realize. And, and so, you know, I've, I've been going around the world for, you know, several years imparting a very, very important, what I call a mantra. You know, mantras are sort of, Words of power, sacred words of power, and this is this, you know, the contentment mantra. How, how do you how, how do you get content? You know, how do I achieve contentment? Well, you, you just are content. So the mantra goes Om, which is you know the kind of like the way that mantras usually begin. The Sanskrit the Sanskrit you know utterance Om means here comes a mantra, and then the the rest of the mantra is in English. The the middle part of the mantra is in English. I have enough. And then you can, you know, end the mantra, ahum. Ahum means that's the end of the mantra in Sanskrit syllables. But the middle bit is the most important, to say, I have enough. I have enough stuff. I have enough money. I have enough experiences, you know, Lonely Planet vacations, vacations to Lonely Planet countries. I have enough, you know, promotions at the job. I have enough friends. I have enough boyfriend, girlfriend. You know, I have enough. And, and we will not achieve contentment until we believe that. It's not like I will be content when I have X, Y, or Z. That's what's keeping us discontent. That's, that's, the, that's the essence of discontent, is thinking I, I will not be content until. And so, you know, of course the goal is, is in our hands at any time. It just means to let it go, to stop, to stop the rat race, to stop the, you know, the gerbil on the gerbil wheel, like always going round and round and round. I need, I need more. I need this. I need that. I want this. I want that. You know, confusing want and need into thinking that it's all need somehow. And to just say, no, I, I, my life is fine the way it is. I have enough. And, and curiously enough, that, that seems to be the, the goal and the way to it. You know, we, we, we all want something to do. So, so you know, the spiritual traditions say, well, you know, you want something to do, create some karma, you know, be a nice person, 
meditate, you know, do your practice. I've got like, you know, 10 or 12 little guides and little uh, components to a daily spiritual life that's included in the book as an appendix. You know, do this, do that, help other people. But ultimately, the thing to do is to is to reach the point where you say, you know, look, my life is good enough now to be perfect. And and until we reach that point, we will never achieve the goal until we reach the point of saying it's good enough now. You know, I could have more money or I could have, you know, I could live in Hawaii and I only live in Vancouver. But, you know, but Vancouver's good enough <laughs> and my income level is good enough and, and it's good enough now to just start practicing contentment, the, which is the real goal. And the only way to actually achieve that goal is to just stop wanting, just stop desiring more and more and more all the time. And it's so hard. It seems so hard. It's, it seems so hard to be content, but it's in our hands at any time to just say, oh, I have enough at home. And that's, and, and so the last chapter of the book actually speaks to that, uh, you know, trying to get to the point. And, you know, and, and for many of us, we're, we're not there yet. We need, we think that we need X, Y, or Z. So if you think you need X, Y, or Z, we'll create the karma for it. Figure out how things are working. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You know, if you want more money, give more. If you, if you want a better job, help other people get jobs. You know, work the system. But, but at some point, also realize that at some point, you know, when you, you know, w- when you've gotten to a certain point, you just have to, there, that the potentially there's no end to that. And so, you know, you, you get your life fixed up in a way that you can say, well, now, now it's good enough. And then you start practicing, you know, this, this kind of like re- the, the real deeper, I think, understanding of a spiritual life which is that is that it's all about contentment it's all about stop wanting all the time stop being dissatisfied in the yoga traditions this is a yoga show right Uh, in the yoga traditions they talk about these two energies that are running in what they call the side channels in the inner body raga and devesha which are just two forms of discontentment raga means i don't have something that i want you know i'm happy because i don't have something that i want raga you desire and then Dvesha is, I, I can't be happy with what I have. You know, if only I got rid of something that I have, then I'd be happy. Dvesha means, you know, kind of aversion or something like that. And, and these are two forms of discontentment. I don't have something that I, that I'm un, un, unhappy because I don't have something, or I'm unhappy because I have something that I don't want. And, and so contentment comes as the, you know, what they call giving the winds into the central channel means, you know, giving up on both of those forms of discontentment. I, I don't need anything that I don't have, and everything that I have is perfect. And that's that's the goal. That's the goal in yoga. That's the goal in Buddhism. That's the goal in, in Christianity. I think that's the goal everywhere. That is the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> to be content, to be happy. Um, I, I, I'm really hearing what you're saying, but have a concern in my own mind, um, but for my own reaction, is that contentment some kind of neutrality? <laughs> no, um, neutrality. It's, it's, it, it, you know, contentment is not complacency. Mm-hmm. You know, acceptance is not apathy. Yeah, you, you can be content and and accepting while also accepting the fact that there's things that you need to do. There's things that are, that, that that are presented to you in life that that you need to take care of. This is karma yoga. What they call karma yoga in the Bhagavad Gita is to do do your duty. That's what Krishna tells Arjuna: do do what there is to do. Do what comes to you to do. You know, so it's not like, you know, contentment means all of a sudden life will stop or something like that, that there won't ever be like, you know, people in need that you could help or that, you know, challenges in life or whatever. Uh, 
so that, do what there is that needs to be done, but don't do it, you know, out of uh, out of a kind of um, obsession with what you're going to get out of it. You see, don't do it with attention to the fruits of, of action. So you do it because it's there to do, and you stay content. You stay you stay content with your with your the opportunities that come to you, and instead of saying, well, you know. I'm doing this so that in the future it will be X, Y, or Z. You see, you, that's what it really means to like to re- renounce the fruits of action. It means to understand, of course, that good action will produce a good result, bad action will pr- pr- produce a bad result. That's given. That's just a you know a person, a, a spiritual person who you know should should have that as the sort of foundation of understanding. Of course, of course, that's how it's working. But you're not. But you're not doing it because of the good action, you see? You're not doing it because of the good result. You're doing good because it's good to do. <laughs> and, 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 you're, and you're interested in the, in the happiness of others, understanding that that is what's going to make, bring the happiness to you. In other words, you've, you've renounced your own sort of small self-interest. You're all, you're, you're sort of, you know, you're, you're sort of temporary finite, you know, distorted self-interest and, and started to pay attention to your larger self-interest, your, your enlightened self-interest, which will, which is that happiness comes from the service to others, from, from thinking about what you can do for someone else. And, and that's another way of thinking about the, you know, renouncing the fruits of action. You, you're renouncing the selfish fruits of action. And while understanding that, of course, there will be great, great payoffs, you know, if you can, it's a very interesting kind of paradox. You know, we, we will get what we want. This is kind of a karmic law. We'll, we'll get what we want when we stop wanting it. When we're, when, we're, when we're able to stop wanting it for ourselves and wanting it for others, then it will come. But it's kind of like um, you, can't cheat. you can't cheat Mr. Karma on that or Ms. Karma. You can't be crossing your fingers behind your back. You have to truly you know, be, be selfless about your, you know, about your actions and what can I do for someone else in order to reap fully, you know, the benefits of, of, of karma, of, of the karmic reward that you will get from that. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus said that too. The last shall be first. But you've got to be willing to be last. And that doesn't mean that you kind of like keep one eye out for, you know, well, what am I going to get out of it or, you know. You just fully say, you know, what I, I am the servant of God. That's what Jesus, that was Jesus' whole thing was being the servant of others and, you know, losing yourself in love for others. And uh, if you're willing to do that, then all happiness will come to you. And, and that's the way to, like, work the, you know, work the system and, and to stay happy all the time, to stay content all the time while serving others, while, you know, doing what there is to do. Not, not complacency, but uh, an, an, you could call it an active contentment. <laughs> Something like that. That's that's the teaching in the Bhagavad Gita about karma yoga. Karma yoga. The, the Bhagavad Gita is like probably the world's greatest um, enunciation on how to how to act and remain happy all the time. Both how to how to do what there is to do without without losing your contentment. And uh, so I recommend everyone study that. <laughs> so Lama, if you're if you're not really feeling that, if you're not feeling the contentment, if you're not really feeling the wanting to help others, can you can you actually fake it till you make it on on this, or do you, or can you come to the to that you know actual feeling of it through an understanding of how it's all working? 
Well, of course we have to fake it until we make it. I mean, not, until, until we really have reached the goal. Uh, you know, all, all forms of our, you know, attempts to be selfless are going to be approximations. You know, we're very, very deeply motivated by self-interest in the lower sense, I would say. You know, me, me, me all the time. And so, you know, it's a matter of degree, I think, of learning how to, you know, little by little by little, uh, you know, uh, be a little less selfless and uh, less selfish and more selfless. Uh, I think it helps a great deal. Uh, stu- study helps a great deal. Meditation helps a great deal. All these things can help. But especially what can help, I think, is our own recognition in our, in our, in our own lives that it is in fact the times when we are, are, are unself-conscious, when we're not thinking about me, 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 that we're happiest. This is why people, you know, this is why people work insane hours because they can lose themselves in the job. They, you know, they, they get preoccupied with an activity and, and that little nagging little voice, you know, that keeps, you know, talking to us. What about you? What about you? Are you happy? Are you this? Are you that? It's too hot. It's too cold. It finally shuts up. This is why we, we gravitate to hobbies. This is why, this is the whole uh, sort of principle of entertainment. You know, why we go to the movies so that we could lose ourselves in the experience. A good, in a good movie, you know, you, you, you kind of aren't there. Two hours go by and you go, wow, you know, where, I was just in the movie the whole time. I was absorbed. And it's in those moments. And of course, in, you know, sexual ecstasy, that's it. That's the whole, that's the whole deal. You know, you're not sitting there narrating your sexual ecstasy. <laughs> you're, you're consumed by it. You're lost in it. And so there are these kind of moments, many, many of them actually, if you, if you stop to think about it, where we're getting a very, very important teaching. That, that our happiness comes when we're not there, when we can lose, drop the self, drop the self-consciousness, and be completely absorbed in something else, in living, in other words. Instead of narrating our lives or mediating our lives through narration, instead of like, you know, kind of trying always to be somewhere else or be in a, another place or time, you know, always dissatisfied, when we're actually in the moment, in the experience, completely absorbed in reality, which is reality after all. It is then that we're happy. It is then that we're happy. And uh, so we, 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 can, we can encourage ourselves, I think, to try to, you know, to be in that state of mind more and more and more, to ca- try to be more consciously in that state of mind of, you know, complete contentment, complete engagement with the world around us and the people in it, complete selflessness, we can encourage ourselves by realizing that these, that in the moments that we, we do this in, you know, in a kind of spontaneous way, in a kind of untrained way, it's actually what we're happy. Mm-hmm. This is what we, this is what, these are the times that we are happy to realize that we, we have experience of, of the goal and to, and to say, oh, you know, I, and I want that. That's, of course I want that. That's, that's why I've, you know, taking these hobbies. That's why I'm in these hobbies. That's why I watch the, the, t- the television or go to the movies, that's why I get absorbed in my work, because it's, it's, it's then that I'm happy. And, and so we can encourage ourselves to practice more by, by recognizing what it is that we really want, what it is that we really desire. What we really desire is, is the end of desire. What we really desire is to not want anymore. And to just be fully absorbed in the moment, you know, in, in the, the grand state of what I'm calling nowadays itchlessness. 
You know, this is, this is the goal of a spiritual life. You know, we have these itches constantly, and then we keep scratching them. Oh, if only I got this, if only I want, you know, if only I didn't get that. And these are all kind of desires or wants or itches. And then we keep scratching them, hoping, of course, with every scratch, with everything that we purchase, every iPod that we buy, with every, you know, promotion at the job that we strive for, with every new relationship, we hope that this will be the end. That we won't, be, we, that if I scratch this one, that the itch won't come back. <laughs> but, but because we're untrained, because we're, you know, non, not wise about, about how things are really working, you know, we, we, it's just like a mozzie bite, right? You get a mozzie bite and you itch it, and then you scratch it, and then it just comes back itching even more. Uh, and so we're trying to get to that state where, where we don't have the itches anymore. Itchlessness. <laughs> And uh, that's contentment. That's what's contentment. I, I like that. That's a very visceral and clear uh, distinction between unhappiness and contentment. It's just not to be feeling itchy. Yeah, especially uh, I think it's a it's an appropriate metaphor for people living in British Columbia. <laughs> Why is that, Lama? <laughs> yeah, I think you have a mosquito problem there, right? <laughs> Uh, well, we're looking forward to having you here in Vancouver in July, July 5, 6, and 7th. Um, you're going to be giving some public talks here, and I just wanted to ask you to um, tell us a little bit about what you're, you're teaching. I have the titles um, of your talks as Inciting Happiness, the Revolutionary Manifesto on July the 5th, uh, Becoming a Spiritual Renegade on July the 6th, and chill, staying chillaxed while changing yourself in the world on July the seventh. Can you tell us a little bit about what you'll be um, the material you'll be covering in those in those talks? Well, uh, we'll, we'll go into more depth in the kind of things that we just touched on in this interview. You know, really, there are just different aspects of the book, different aspects of the topic on the book, and we can, you know, we'll have a chance in a, in these kind of uh, public forums to to go a little bit more in depth on um, you know on, on these topics and and and, and really how 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 to achieve them how how to uh, not only to sort of outline the, the the means to happiness and so forth but to get very very specific about what we need to do to do it i mean you know for example i i mentioned uh, you know uh forgiveness as you know part of our project to uh you know rehabilitate our understanding of the past but that's a big topic and you know maybe we'll go into that at some point in in these talks in vancouver about you know, uh, what forgiveness is and isn't, which I, I go into in the book. Uh, and it's important to, to know these kinds of things in detail if we're really going to sort of convince ourselves that we can, that it's important to do and that we can do it. And, uh, so I, I, I would just say, Shetty, that, uh, you know, basically what I'll be talking about in Vancouver is more in-depth versions of what we talked about in these last 40, 40 minutes or so. That's great. And it sounds like we're going to get lots of practical tips and how to, um, actually, you know, create this kind of contentment in our lives. Yeah, I mean, if it's not practical, again, like I said at the beginning of the interview, for me, it's just not interesting anymore. You know, I, I was intellectually interested in religion for a long, long time, and, you know, it is interesting, it's fascinating in its own way, but, you know, life's too short to just get, like, self-absorbed in these kinds of, like, intellectual, uh, you know, kind of dead ends. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I want to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, in, in, anything that I absorb and practice spiritually is going to have a very, very practical uh, kind of uh, impact on my own life. And, and that's, that's what I'm trying to relate to others, too, to, you know, make it real. If it, ain't, if it ain't real in, you know, modern 
21st century Vancouver life, then, you know, what's the point, really? Just a museum piece, then. Right, right. Well, thank you so much for making Vancouver one of the stops on your tour. We're really looking forward to having you here. Um, I know there's more information about the teachings, uh, where your teachings, the times, and all of that's available on the Three Jewels Vancouver.com uh, website. Um, yeah. Uh, you get people get more information there. And we'll just look forward to welcoming you here and hearing your teachings when you're here. Thanks. And I also have a website and uh, the whole, the, the entire tour uh, schedule is listed there on the website. Uh, Lama Marut, one word, L-A-M-A Marut, M-A-R-U-T, one word, dot org. Thank you so much, Lama. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings. Mm-hmm.